spirits today. Hallelujah. God has woke us up this morning, so we just got to give him all the praise because he deserves it. I just want to read a verse to you guys. It says, Psalms 145, verse 3, it says, Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. So we just got to give God the praise because he's worthy of it all. Come on, clap your hands with us right here.
Happy Sabbath, Tabernacle family and visiting friends. Uh, we have the blessing, the privilege of being able to have a guest speaker with us this morning. Our guest speaker is Pastor Carl McRoy, who is an ordained pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He's also the host of Message Magazine's Your Liberation Library and the author of Yell at God and Live, Are You Tough Enough? and Impediments to Power. He enjoys quality time with his family and posing as an amateur historian and also shooting pool. He currently serves as a North American Division Literature Ministries Director. Now, I must tell you, he is a colleague, but he's also a very close friend. This morning, I ask you to please continue to keep Pastor McRoy as he presents God's word. Please say a prayer on his behalf that the message will go forward with strength. God bless you and happy Sabbath. Hello and happy Sabbath, Miami Tabernacle. Thank you, Pastor Garth, for inviting me to be here today. I want to invite everyone to just go ahead and bow your heads in prayer with me as we consider the message, Reframe Your Pain, Lessons on Loss from the Book of Job. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for just blessing us to be uh, gathered together here virtually. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be with us, lead us and guide us, make your word come alive, Help us to love you more and serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, so reframe your pain, lessons on loss. Um, I wrote a book some, uh, some years ago called Yellow God and Live. In the beginning, I, I have a chapter called Why. Why? Why do so many bad things happen to good people? Or, or why do bad things happen at all, really, when, when there's such a loving and powerful God of the universe? We all have our why questions. However, what I want to do today is, is help you to pivot from why to how. Because at some point in your life, you've asked your why questions, but you still have to figure out how to keep moving forward no matter what kinds of answers you get for your why questions, whether you feel those are sufficient or not, you still have to answer how, all right? You have to answer the how questions, ask how, uh, how can I keep moving and how can I find purpose beyond my circumstances? How can I live a functional life with so much dysfunction around me? How can I get through this crisis since I can't seem to get out of it? All right, how can I use this situation to grow? Asking how questions can spark creativity necessary for reframing how we view our painful experiences. The biblical account of Job provides some big picture, some big pictures to help us reset, rewire, reframe our thought processes so that when we're dealing with stress and suffering and sorrow, we can figure out how to keep going, how to keep living, how to persevere. Job is a perfect person to teach us this because in quick succession, you know that he lost his children, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, um, yet he held on to hope. His story can help us gather coldness from the, uh, 
help us to gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. Here are six ways you can reframe your pain. Number one, know that there's a battle in the background. Job chapter one, Job chapter one, verses six through 11, uh, reads as follows. Job chapter one, verse six through 11. This is familiar to a lot of you. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth and a blameless and a upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and possessions and have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. That's that's the devil's bet. This is the battle going on in the background of Job's life. This is the battle, similar battles that go on in, in our lives as well. The same enemy that brought pain to Job long ago and pains us today began by being a pain in the atmosphere. Oh yes, read all about it in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. It tells us how an angel earned the nickname Satan, which means the accuser. How did he earn this nickname? Because that's what his job was. That's what he did day and night. Um, you see it in Job chapter 1. You see it in Revelation chapter 12. You see it in Zechariah chapter 3. Satan seeks to hurt God by hurting us. He seeks to condemn God by condemning us. And his additional goal is to make us desert God and join his losing team. He's already lost his place in heaven. He's lost at the cross. He knows that he's going to lose in the end. And he's trying to convince you and I to join his losing team. I say, let's stay with Jesus' team. Now, if it seems that the world is getting crazier, it's because the, intens the intensity of Satan's attacks are directly related to the imminence of his demise. He knows he has but a short time, and so he is desperate. Now, since God won the war in heaven, we have confidence that he will win the battle in the background of our individual lives. And since we can't see what's going on behind the scenes in this battle in the background, we need to be very careful in trying to explain what's going on in the life of someone else who's suffering. We need to be very careful about trying to prescribe to them their course of action that they need to make in their, situ their individual situations. Because we don't always know what God and Satan are doing in the background, what, 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 all, what angels and demons are wrestling around in the background that are causing all this havoc. And if we give the wrong answers, we try to give the wrong diagnosis, we can bring more pain upon that person. So just know that there's a battle going on in the background. God is the ultimate victor. And you don't know enough to be a judge over somebody else's painful circumstances. Number two, God is bigger than your outbursts. 
you've heard it said that this person or that person has the patience of Job, right? Well, um, this is a picture of a patient Job that is developed when we don't get past the second chapter of the book of Job, beginning in chapter three. And for much of the remainder of the book, we see an impatient Job. He even recognized his own impatience in Job ch chapter six, verses two and three. He said, oh, if only my grief could be weighed and my misfortune laid on the scales too. But because it is heavier than the sand of the sea, that is why my words have been wild. Job himself recognized that his words have been wild. He recognizes that he's been impatient with his friends. He's been impatient with God. Um, and he even asked God to strike him down just a few verses later. Job chapter 6, 8 through 9. He asked God to strike him down. Of course, God did not do that. God understood what was going on inside of Job, and he didn't pay attention to the temporary outburst. He knew that Job had a long-term commitment to him, and God was with him all the way. Even when we feel the loneliness, the loneliest in our lives, God is still with us, and he is bigger than our outbursts. Now, God can handle the wildness of our words towards him, but people can't. So we need to remember to cast our burdens on Jesus, cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Other people can care for us, but that doesn't mean that they can handle everything that we have to throw at them. Only God can do that. Only God can overcome our outbursts. Only God is bigger than our outbursts. Don't emotionally overtax your friends and family. Um, sometimes you need to go directly to God because he's the only one who can deal with it. Number uh, Situation number three or, or picture number three that I want you to look at from the book of Job is found in Job chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Job chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. And and. The point here is sometimes friends and family make miserable comforters. Sometimes friends and family make miserable comforters. Let me uh, read these verses to you. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many things, many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windy words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I could also speak as you do. If you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. Um, but he says, or I could strengthen you with my mouth and the solace of my message would, ass would assuage your pain or would give you assurance during your pain. Um, so Job is, is telling his friends, you might mean to comfort me, but you are miserable comforters. You're bringing me more pain and agony with your words. Um, so listen, even with the best of intentions, remember Job's friends traveled a far way to come, to come and be with him. Um, they sat in silence for several days, uh, just providing a ministry of presence. But then they tried to have all the answers for Job and they, they tried to have some prescriptions for Job and it was just bringing him more and more pain and, and um, agony. 
and confusion. All right, so even with the best of intentions, your loved ones will let you down. Job and his wife were both hurting. Remember, they lost all their children, but they processed their pain very differently. The fruit of Job's of Mrs. Job's 10 years of childbearing was destroyed in one windstorm. Think about that. All 10 of her children died at one time. Then some of the family's wealth went up in smoke while the rest of it was plundered by ruthless marauders. Now her husband's physical condition rendered her home remedies useless. Think about the, the, the garlic mixtures that she may have given them or the, or the charcoal uh, mixtures that she may have applied to his outward sores. Think of everything that Job's wife was probably trying to do to ease his suffering. She comes to the point where she says, um, why don't you curse God and die? Job wasn't comforted by his wife either. He said that she spoke like a foolish woman. Um, what she thought would be helpful, he thought was offensive. Now, don't judge her too harshly. She's trying to help Job get a quick remedy to, her, to his suffering because she just couldn't see him getting any better. Um, I do believe that her comment came from a place of compassion, but it applied more pain to Job's suffering. Remember, hurt people hurt people. And unfortunately, it's those closest to us that can hurt us the most. So now, if you accept that friends and family will fail your expectations often, um, you'll reduce your emotional burdens because you won't have false expectations placed upon them. And expecting more than others can deliver frustrates everyone by lowering your expectations sometimes on what other people are capable of you you make a, a realistic expectation and a realistic relationship. Um, uh, you you help to create that. You keep from stressing everyone out. All right. Remember, there are some things that only God can handle, and other people are going to be weak, just like you are. They're going to have misunderstandings, just like you do. They're going to offer advice that might they they might think is good, but it might come out clumsily. It might miss the mark. Don't worry, don't charge it to their account because God is the only one who is bigger than your outbursts. Number four, God has no grandchildren, only children. In Job chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, he says that, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Mine own eyes will behold and not another. All right. So God, so Job has a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. He does not have a second-hand relationship with God. He, he, his relationship goes beyond his parents or his grandparents' relationship with God. He has a relationship with God, and he has trust that even if this present sickness takes him to his grave, that he is going to see God face to face. He's going to see his Redeemer. He's going to see his Resurrector. He's going to stand anew with a glorified body. 
glorifying God. All right. So listen, when we aren't able to lean on anyone else for strength or solace, our individual relationship with God becomes imperative. If Job would have relied on his wife's relationship with God to get him through, he would have cursed God to hasten the rest of his death. Uh, if Job would have relied on his friend's relationship with God, he would have confessed to some sins that he wasn't guilty of in order to be released from punishment. If So Job had to have his own relationship. Job had cultivated a connection with God over his lifetime. Uh, in, in, and so he was prepared when the crisis came. He already had he already had something strong, a strong foundation to stand on when things started shaking all around him. Therefore, he knew he didn't have to settle for his friends or his wife's recommendation of how to get right with God, how to ease his suffering. He knew how to get right with God. He knew um, he knew the character of his redeemer. He knew his redeemer personally. So it's okay to know the God of your grandparents as long as you get to know him for yourself. Picture five, picture five is Job chapter 42, verses seven through 10. Job chapter 42, verse seven through 10 teaches us that reconciliation often precedes restoration. We might be seeking restoration for our situation, but God is waiting for some reconciliation to take place in our lives. Sometimes the reconciliation is between us and God. Sometimes the reconciliation is between uh, us and our friends and family and church members and co-workers. Uh, God doubled Job's prosperity at the end of the book of Job but it came after he prayed for his friends. God commanded Job to intercede for people that multiplied his ministry. I mean, that multiplied his misery. So remember those friends who had been antagonizing him, um, thinking that they were speaking for God, God says, no, they were not speaking for me. And matter of fact, they are in trouble with me. So they had been trying to persuade Job that he was getting what he deserved, but now they must rely on his prayers to prevent them from getting what they deserve. When Job prayed for his friends in earnest, um, he foreshadowed the work of Jesus. After being afflicted with unearned suffering, he brought sinners into harmony with the heart of God. Instead of getting Job to abandon God, Satan's attacks actually resulted in Job reflecting his maker's image clearer than before. God blesses us most when we are conduits rather than consumers of his blessings. I'll say that for you again. God blesses us the most when we are conduits rather than consumers of his blessing. And so sometimes he may delay our restoration until after we have worked, we have been ministers of reconciliation. All right. Restoration follows reconciliation. The last frame of reference that I want to give you from the book of Job is empower the vulnerable. Empower the vulnerable. This comes from Job chapter 42, verses 13 through 15. Job felt what it's like to be powerless over your circumstances and even over your own body. 
He had been wounded by self-righteous friends kicking him while he was down. He learned to distrust societal norms to protect his children's well-being, especially when it came to his daughters. That's why Job's daughters are named, but not his sons. Did his sons matter? Of course, his sons mattered. But not, and everybody around him knew that his sons mattered because boys and men mattered in that day. And matter of fact, we, we still seem to have a higher estimate for boys and men sometimes today. Uh, but Job wanted his friends and neighbors and everyone around to know that his daughters mattered. And so he said, say their names, call out their names. In Job chapter 42, verses uh, 42, verses 13 and 14, we learn that Job made sure his daughter Jemima, his daughter Cassia, and his daughter Karen Hepek were recognized as individuals with names and personality. Um, they were not to be seen as anonymous. Job further liberated his daughters from uh, dependence upon the patriarchal system of his day by giving them an inheritance of their own alongside their brothers. They weren't to depend on their brothers in Job's absence. They weren't to depend on husbands in Job's absence. Uh, you got to understand that usually young ladies would be depended upon and controlled by their fathers until their fathers handed them off in marriage to a husband. When their husbands died, the inheritance of the family would be passed on to the sons, not on to the wife. So widows would then be dependent upon their sons. Job's move turn that construct upside down, or perhaps right side up again. All right, uh, he said, I am going to give my daughters their own inheritance. They are going to be self-sufficient. They are going to be independent, not at the mercy of a sexist society. Because Job had, had felt the pain firsthand of what it likes, what it feels like to be vulnerable to lack control over your own life and to be treated with indifference or with disdain, to have people not understand your pain and what you're going through. And Job said, no, I wanna make sure that it's better off for my next generation and for my girls than it was for me. If this is what they would do to me as a rich man, then what would they do to my daughters? See, um, don't waste painful experiences in, our, in your lives. Suffering should deepen our capacity for empathy. Draw from that reservoir to anticipate and meet the needs of others. Doing so will replace sorrow with joy and replace loss with fulfillment. Uh, you will oftentimes forget how low you've been feeling when you help raise others up. Because as you raise up others, Jesus himself will raise you up with that comfort that you offer them. And so I want to just make a couple of appeals here to you. Um, first of all is get to know God for yourself, all right? Don't be reliant upon your parents' faith, your grandparents' faith, somebody else's faith, your spouse's faith. 
get to know Jesus yourself. So get in contact with the pastoral staff of the Miami Tabernacle Church. Uh, get in touch with the elders. Get in touch with the Sabbath school teacher. Get in touch with somebody that can get you in touch with some studies and some prayer to help you develop that one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. All right. Um, and then I, I want to share something else with you that I got from Elder E. Cleveland while he was, he was still teaching at Oakwood in his 80s. And I believe the reason why he kept on teaching and preaching into his 80s is because of this one phrase that he used to share with us. Impression without expression leads to depression. Impression without expression leads to depression. And see, that sometimes is the one thing that is missing from our spiritual lives. That is the one thing that we need to exercise in order to lift us back up when the world brings us down. Impression without expression it leads to depression. So I want to invite you to express your faith through sharing um, messages, many messages even like what I just shared with you. This, everything that I talked to you about is in this track. It's in this track that I wrote a few years ago on the eve of my father's death. And so again, it's called Reframe Your Pain, Lessons on Loss from the book of Job. You can, you can get in contact with your pastor, you can get in contact with me, and we can get you, uh, equipped with several different titles of these many messages for you to share with friends, family, co-workers, and neighbors, so that as you receive comfort and strength from your one-on-one -on -one relationship with God, you can give them the keys to developing that one-on-one -on -one relationship for themselves, and they can experience that same comfort, that same strength from receiving a message from the Lord. So let me have a closing prayer with you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to thank you for speaking to us today, for um, helping us with some insights from the life of Job. And we pray, oh Lord, that we would get, get to know you one-on-one, -on -one, that we would trust you and be able to say, yes, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Um, that even if this sickness, even if this circumstance brings me to my grave, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will live with him one day and see him face to face. Lord, this is our prayer. This is our wish. And this is the promise that you've given in Jesus' name. Amen.